I, I don't even know what I want to do to start. Ella, I want to get better at doing like a tag at the beginning where we're just like- I know, we can like write ourselves a little like script that we can just like record once and then just play it every time. And then like, <laughs> I know. But one of the things Morgan and I were just talking about is this idea of like COVID being used continually as a, as like an excuse for lack of a better term. I think like people keep falling back on it. And I'm just excited to have Morgan here to talk about like, a new initiative that's happening. Welcome to Morgan Cohen. How are Thank you? Thank you. I am very excited to be here. Happy to talk to you both. Yeah, we're um, excited to have you. Morgan sent us one of the nicest notes early on in the podcast. I noticed you had listened to like our episode we did with Jen or something like that. It was it was nice. So we're glad yes. to have you here, Morgan. How long have you have you been involved with with the MSLA? Either as a you're an area director, correct? Yes. So I am one of the Boston area directors alongside Deeth Ellis. And oh goodness, I believe this is my second term being served in that position. Okay. Year-wise. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's so a COVID excuse. That's a COVID yeah, I'm excuse. I'm like, is it four years? Is it... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I want to the fourth year. Fourth year? We can go uh, with that. That's fine. Sure. Four years as a Boston area co-director. But prior to being a Boston area director, I honestly had not done anything in MSLA um, other than just being a member and following the listserv. I hadn't done anything internally with the organization. It was really Deeth Ellis, who had reached out to me at one point at a Boston library team meeting and brought me on, just thinking that it would be nice to have um, someone from the elementary side of things, having an elementary perspective. Um, since I think at the time there were less of that, it was a lot of middle school and high school. Um, so yeah, just started working with her and then have tried to, you know, join more things ever since, start being on some of the committees and figuring the whole thing out. So yeah. welcome to the MSLA podcast. My name is Luke Steer. My pronouns are he, him. I am the librarian at Wilson Middle School in Natick. And with me is my co-host. Hi, everyone. This is Ella Stocker. I am the librarian at Amherst Regional High School in Amherst, Massachusetts, and I use she, her pronouns. And joining both of us today is the wonderful Morgan Kihain, who is joining us. Uh, Morgan, you want to introduce yourself briefly? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Morgan Kohane. I am the librarian at the P.A. Shaw Elementary School in Dorchester, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. We're going to talk about a makerspace. Yeah. Right. Give us like a little background on this initiative. I know that you did some grant writing or secured the money, and this has been something that's, you know, new for your, new for your, your school. So tell us a little bit about what we're talking about. Yes. So I have been at the Shaw for nine years. And just for background, when I started, I was sort of just given an empty room, no books, no shelves, no furniture, 
and said, turn this into a library. Um, so I really had to build the program from literally the ground up. And by doing that, I always had to write grants, um, beg, borrow, and steal basically to get all resources um, that were being used by students. So on top of trying to build a physical library collection of texts, I was also trying to get resources like Legos, robots, different things that my young students could use in the library. Almost to be honest, when I started, it was a way to keep them engaged while I was doing checkout for other students. Um, so like, how do I manage 24 four-year-olds? Because they're not all going to wait in line to check out a book. So how can I do that? So that's really where I got started with trying to figure out other ways of sort of bringing in makerspace elements into the library and then have just grown it from there. So about two years ago, Heart of America reached out to different schools in the greater Boston area and had mentioned that they were going to do this process where people could apply to have the space redone and include a STEM transformation to their space. So starting two years ago, I applied for the grant, um, filled out the application, did all of that sort of extensive paperwork and background knowledge where they asked about the you know, demographics and makeup of my school community. And then, moved on to the next process, which included a tour of our facilities. They then came and interviewed me in person um, to see sort of what my pedagogy was, how I would use a makerspace um, and, you know, improvements in our space. So eventually I was selected and our school got chosen to win this STEM transformation. Um, so next steps are, coordinating with our facilities department where um, they are actually working alongside Heart of America to do some of those physical transformations in the space. So coordinating with them and then working with Heart of America and all of their volunteers to get ready for the transformation. So it's actually happening in June and there will be 80 volunteers coming to wow. our school which is wild because our school is so small so I'm like where are they all going that's, but, yeah that's like <laughs> almost half of your yeah, yeah. right yeah, like it's literally like half of our school um so there will be Incredible. 80 people coming and it's a very quick turnaround so they are here the last week of June they are doing all the painting building unpacking and putting together all of the new furniture putting together book bags for our students because they'll be taking things home. Um, they're on top of redoing the library, they're redoing our um, garden space outside of the front of our school. They're painting murals in the school. So it's kind of like on top of what I thought was just gonna be a transformation of the library. They've sort of taken us on to transform our entire school, which is great. Wow. Yeah, That's it's very awesome. exciting. So what the heck did you say? I really must of... have talked us up. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like um, 
when you said they asked you about like your pedagogy and your philosophy, um, you know, and sometimes you can just start rolling and it's like a blur, right? But were there, were there kind of like planks of what you've been trying to instill in your students and in your, um, and your other patrons that, that really, something resonated with them. What do you think it was? Yes. Um, I remember talking a lot about how, to me, especially, I feel like because my students are so young, when they come to library, it's a complete exploration, not just of books and developing a reading identity, but like who you are as a person. So not only am I trying to expose my students to, you know, reading and different types of, you know, um, of books, whether that be physical or electronic, but also like exploring what they might want to be when they grow up or who they are. So I have done in the past a lot of things regarding maker spaces, meaning that when students come to the library, if they're super interested in airplanes, I am totally there to support the exploration and research of that. So I'm not sure if you've heard of Dr. Leslie Maniotis, but she has her guided inquiry design process. Yeah, GID, that's awesome. Yeah, GID. So I really try and follow that with the students. Cool. So when they're coming to the library, like it's totally based on what they're interested in. And I'm just sort of guiding them through those research and exploration steps. Um, So I talked a lot about that, like how they're coming, if they're interested in airplanes, then we're researching that you know, using the tools, databases, books that we have in the library. And then I'm also trying to provide them the space to, can we build an airplane out of cardboard? Can we make a blueprint and test our design? Are you talking to your other students in the class? Like, are you working together? So it just becomes this whole project that sadly, I feel like, and to no fault of the classroom teachers, there's just a limited time to do that sort of exploration in the classroom there's just such a, you know, focus on the curriculum that they have to get through where I'm not tied to that, that we can really sort of deep dive and explore those projects. So I think that helped is just talking a lot about how that's happening in the library. Yeah, the uh, Maniotti's mic drop I've used many times. And you just, you just say something about the process. Um, Mm -hmm. And also one of the, one of the um, graspable examples, I think, for people that I've discussed this with in my school at the middle school level is talking about the idea of a genius hour, mm-hmm. um, like the genius hour program where kids are, you know, intended to, the, the excitement comes from the student agency. It's like you can choose yeah. anything you want and you can study it. And then you're like, and you get an hour to do it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do that for 16 classes because yeah. the library has content, but the content is really based in mechanics as opposed to like a subject area. I always start teachers off with going shopping for GID. I say, let's take like one element of her eight step process and add it to the great project you already have you know and they're 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 usually more amenable to that idea um and then for the engineering side of things i definitely think that process links right up with it at my school the research class i teach is split down the middle of the term 
which makes it go by really fast, which is a little bit uh, annoying, but it's split with an engineering class. So the sixth graders do something on like the engineering design process and their iterations of a bridge. And then when they come up to me, I'm like, you're going to do the same thing here with research. Like you don't stop learning about pizza or Taylor Swift or drone warfare or whatever the heck you want to talk about when you pass in your project for me, like your passion for it, I would hope continues because you're picking something that you're interested in. Very exciting for, <laughs> for people who are giving money for STEM programs. So it is, I mean, to your point too, like the connections being made. So even in the library, I have a lot of robots that the students are able to use. And we do a lot about, you know, exploration of coding. So for us, especially being the age that they're at, we do a lot with Scratch Junior. Yep. And, you know, it's their like first introduction to algorithms, but then all of the classroom teachers will come to me and talk about the connections they make with sequencing, which is also huge at this age. So like putting a story in order from beginning, middle to end, right. and totally getting that that matches to, you know, logical steps in a program. So, and if you're missing one, then the story doesn't make sense. So it's really interesting to see how it does connect, even though I'm not explicitly saying that all of the time. Yeah, I always I joke with the Scratch Club about like, there's no run button on your essay. Yep. <laughs> so you have to wait for the grade to come back to see if you did it or not. Connection though, I think that's such an important connection to make because like every little kids preschool enough understand like a story structure because mm -hmm. they have been reading books and being read to and they understand that concept. And so, you know, making that translation into technology or into engineering or into sort of more hands-on projects, I think making that those literacies pretty explicitly connected, I think is a really cool way to approach that. And, and also makes it really clear the role that STEM plays in a library, especially for young students. Um, and is something that I think is, is a really helpful sort of framing for them. And I have really tried to make sure that they view STEM as like a part of the library and not necessarily all the time, but that like this is tied to exploration, like the knowledge building that can happen in the library, like, you know, figuring out what you're interested in. Like I, I can see where sometimes, you know, like there would be a concern where, well, is that all the library is doing or, you know, is, do you know what I mean? Like that the library has to be STEM. Like, are we becoming a STEM teacher? But I really try to just make it as like, this is you discovering yourself. Yeah, GID, the framework really has a lot of things that can lay across it. So it's nice mm -hmm. that it's almost, um, because it can attach to so many different content areas, it really like fosters collaboration on the other end. Um, which is which is what makes it so powerful so it's nice that that resonated with somebody who like is you know is probably making like these grand decisions about where to allocate money that's 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 great feedback for the folks at rutgers right, who developed yes. the id <laughs> totally and they were very clear about like prior to me receiving this grant that there are many grants out there where they are rewarding someone money and potentially, you know, giving robots or all these tools and then they just sit on the shelf. So I think they really wanted to check and make sure like, is this going to be used with fidelity or is it going to sit on a shelf and never be used or, you know what I mean? 
Like they, oh, yeah. they're support, very good about checking. <laughs> support is yeah. so vital for that. That's one of these things that um, that these kind of kinds of initiatives, I think, uh, that's where they step in the mud sometimes is mm-hmm. everybody's hot and excited about it for the first year and a half. And then it just falls off the, it falls off the vine because there's not the longevity of support. Talking about all of the sort of the, the transformation of your, your space. I'm really curious to know, like, what is that, tra- like, what are you most excited about, about this transformation? Like what is coming in that you don't have that you're really psyched about? What are you really excited to keep that maybe you have built yourself and you're like, we're not getting rid of this. Um, so I'm, I'm actually curious to sort of hear about like the actual space transformation and what, what it's, what's coming, what's going. Where do you yes. Um, our building is close to 150 years old. So <laughs> it's very old. And I think just like in terms of the physical space, as much as I try to keep it clean or make it look exciting and appealing to the students, sometimes that's really hard. And sometimes I think it makes me sad to think that these students feel that this is the space they deserve when it's not, they deserve so much more. So just that I'm very excited for new paint, a floor that does not have asbestos in it. silly, not even silly, right? Like environmentally better decisions for my students. I'm very happy that that is happening. In terms of the resources that they're providing, I'm also very excited about. So right now in the library, I have Chromebooks. And while I love the Chromebooks, um, they come with a lot of issues. Um, So all of those are going to be replaced with iPads which I'm very excited about because a lot of the robotics that I use with students or even just other apps that I have used myself and wanted to use with my students, I can't, it's not the same interface on a Chromebook and it's more difficult for my students to use. It makes it way easier. Little people, yes. Little Little people, little fingers. I mean, it just makes more sense to have iPads. So I'm very excited about that. Some of the other choices, they're helping move some of my shelving around so that it's more of a developmentally appropriate height. So I'm just excited too that some of my youngest learners will be able to have that agency and independence and accessibility that we were sort of touching on before where they can feel empowered to go to the shelf and get what they need, whether it be a book or a resource, you know, a, a tech tool, whatever it may be, it will now be designed for them. Um, so it will truly feel like their space, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, I love that connection between like curricular student agency and physical student agency, like coming all at once. That's that's awesome. So in terms of these classes, I know I, I have like a fixed flex schedule and the elementary schools in my district have like a like a primarily fixed schedule. Is that what it's going to be like? And what will be the content of those classes that you foresee next year with this new space? Right now I am on a fixed schedule. I see every class twice a week for 50 minutes um, per class period. So I have them a great amount of time. Yeah, that's a, that's a long class. It's a long class, um, but we're, that helps in the sense that we're able to really do deep dives into right. this type of research and learning. Um, 
So for next year, it is staying the same where I will be on that fixed schedule. And I'm very excited. Um, I am piloting two new curriculums for the district. So one is through the Museum of Science. It's called We Engineers, and it's specifically for preschool students, which we have at our school. Um, so it's a very simplified engineering design process. But again, like, I really like this curriculum because it's giving them prompts about how to solve problems that they actually would care about at that age. Um, so it's relevant, it's meaningful. Like I've already tested it out with a couple of students and they're able to make some really great connections. So I'm hoping to use that um, throughout the school year next year. And then I'll also be piloting um, through Tufts and related to Scratch Junior, they're coding as another language curriculum. So basically teaching coding as a literacy of the 21st century. Um, so using that. And then honestly, a lot of my lessons, because I am on a fixed schedule that I create, are based on having students first develop their own reading identity being okay with knowing what they like and feeling like they have the voice to say what they don't like and what they're not interested in reading. So we do a lot of that at the beginning of the year, which sort of goes perfectly into that guided inquiry design process. So, okay, now that we've discovered what we might be interested in, how can we really explore those passions and then sort of collaborate with others and eventually present that work. So yeah, it, it, it's really great. I mean, a lot of my lessons are based on right exploration of the databases. How can we use the resources we have to figure out what we're interested in and share that information with others? Um, but after next year, I believe in Boston, that all librarians will be on a flexible schedule, regardless of elementary or middle or high school. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. So that is a change that's coming, but has not happened yet. Um, the plan is that every school in Boston will have a librarian that will be centrally funded. So it doesn't have to come out of a school's budget and that they'll all be on a flexible schedule. That's really cool. Yeah, I know I'm, the funding of the positions was very exciting for sure. So I know when they all got posted, we were like, this is actually happening. <laughs> what? Like it's real? The email from HR making it so, right? That's always yes. exciting. You have to wait until that happens. Otherwise, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> so one of the questions that we had sent was, I've been reading this book, The Promise of Access, that I heard on another podcast, uh, the Library Punk podcast, actually, which is from the point of view of um, academic librarians a lot of the time. And even Ella and I are kind of in different roles than you. And the, the way I put it is like this idea of the intersection of maker spaces and culturally relevant programming. You did a great job explaining that it's kind of a holistic change and that idea of giving something to your students that they deserve, which I think kind of answers some of that. Um, and in, in terms of the direction that like the STEM focused thing is doing, it really seems like it's rooted in like student agency and in student um ownership over the space maybe, um, which does feel important for my middle schoolers. Where do you see the intersection of these two things going maybe on a bigger scale? 
this idea that STEM and um, engineering kind of stuff is like important for the future and like hoping that it is continued to be supported when they move on from fourth grade and they're no longer in your library. What sort of thinking are you doing kind of holistically maybe across the district? This is something I've thought a lot about, especially um, because I know that not every school in Boston has a STEM program, has a science teacher. I mean, we technically at my school, we don't have a science teacher or a STEM program. I've just sort of developed that because I am passionate about it myself and feel that it's important and has given so much more, you know, of an impactful experience when my students come to the library. But yeah, it's super interesting to think about. So in my opinion, I first, there's definitely a push I've found where people feel like STEM has to be done because of jobs, right? So thinking about my four-year-olds and saying, well, there are jobs in STEM for when they graduate from college. And I'm like, whoa, okay. First off, I just want to make sure that my students are exposed and have access to that. And if they like it, great. And if they don't like it, great. Like at least they've had the choice um, to be able to decide whether that's something they might want to pursue or not want to pursue. So I think one, just like the exposure to all of these different types of learning is important. Second, something that I've tried to do for the district level is really think about how we can engage families in this work, because I know when my students leave my library space, they don't have robots at home. Many of them don't have computers or access to these types of resources at home. So how can we get families also thinking about this? Because sometimes I do think like if a family comes in the library, they're like, well, wait, why is my child like playing with Legos and not, you know, writing a research paper? Um, So really trying to explain to families like, the learning that's happening when your child is playing with Legos. And at least at my school, every summer I put together um, like STEM take-home kits. So a lot of just basic materials like pipe cleaners, popsicle sticks, construction paper with prompts that families can do alongside their child. So how can you use these materials to make a present for someone else or make an instrument that's quiet or loud? So sort of just trying to get families on board as well, I think is something that like has to happen on a larger scale. Just trying to do as much exposure as possible. I try to send home as much as I can to families about what is happening in the library. So here are the tools we're using. Here's how you could access it at home if you need. And then I'm lucky because my school is so small that if a child, for example, today, I had a second grader who specifically said, I want to be a roboticist when I grow up. So I try to message families with what their children are talking about at school. So say, hey, so-and-so said this today. Like, if I can, I'll say, here are some books that, you know, we've read at school and could be great for you to talk about at home or something like that, just to make sure that like the message is happening across the board so that hopefully when they leave, 
elementary school and are moving on, even if they're not doing STEM at their next school, they've had enough of a foundation or background knowledge that they can continue doing it. And sometimes I think the best thing about having a makerspace is, as you mentioned, like just the collaboration piece and some of those just like social skills or other aspects that are happening. Yeah. So I noticed a lot this year when we first started talking about robots in the library, all of my students kept calling the robots he, and they were using he pronouns for all the robots, no matter what. And I was like, this is interesting. Like we're four and five and this sort of gender stereotyping has already started. So to me, like then we just did a lot of, you know, had a lot of talks and switched sort of the discussion about that. So how, like I tried to actively change the pronouns I was using when talking about the robots, the stories that we were using related to it, um, and really just framing it as it's not necessarily like you don't have to be a boy to be interested in science. And it's great if you are a boy and you're interested in science, but you can also be not a boy and interested in science. Um, so even just like those types of talks that come up from having a makerspace have been great because I hope that the students will sort of keep that in the back of their minds or take that and have more of a critical lens for whatever learning they're doing in the classroom um, to sort of push back now if something you know doesn't sit. Yeah I think that's such a great first of all I think that's like so awesome that you like were observant of that and noticed it and then like had an intervention, so to speak, because I think one of the things as a high school librarian that I notice a lot is that, you know, kids arrive, by the time they're in ninth grade, they arrive with some pretty strong preconceived notions of what libraries are, of what things they should be interested in are, what things they can be interested in are. And a lot of those come from their middle school and elementary school experiences. Obviously, some come from home and from just like culture in general. Um, but I think having a really active science space in a library and, and being really deliberate about how that science and sort of STEM engagement is, is delivered by, by the librarian um, and, and sort of weaving in other things like thinking about like the gendered elements of, of STEM um, is really powerful because it sets those kids up to leave elementary school or move into upper elementary school and middle school and high school with a, a really strong foundation. As you said, like your goal is for them to have a sense of their own identity and, and who they are as people with being like, even if they end up being like not a science person and super into the humanities or really into languages or whatever it is, they have an understanding that like anyone can be any of these things because they're getting that from such an early age in their library instruction. And I think that's just really, just sets kids up for greater success in high school and in middle school. And in high school where they, they are starting to specialize in things and take advanced robotics and, you know, computer science classes. And they're beginning with some, some stronger specialization in some of those fields. We also have developed some really great partnerships in the library where on top of having a maker space and soon to be this new space, um, we have partnerships where, because we noticed that, you know, these sort of stereotypes were coming up and preconceived notions. We now have um, uh, STEM mentors that will come to the school. So Vertex Pharmaceuticals, which is a huge company in Boston, they will now come and um, do experiments with the students. Um, they've been sending um, specifically like 
um, their employees of color um, or employees from their LGBTQ network um, to come and, and speak to the students and read stories with them and sort of do these hands-on activities. Um, so last week, our students did an experiment where they talked a lot about cystic fibrosis and what that means. And then they explored like what different snot feels like and how it would feel in, in a body of someone that doesn't have CF versus someone that does. Um, so even just that, and like, really, I'm not a person of color. I'm not, you know, which most of my students are. So I don't want to be the only person that's talking to them about STEM. So really just, I think having to be able to bring in other people has helped so much as well too. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of times when it comes to stuff like this, especially through channels that are like professional development or goal setting, there's always a um, reflex to answer questions um, and like bringing it back to GID and kind of the spirit of the library. One of the things I'm always interested at the end of a research project is what new questions do you have? You know, I think like with culturally responsive, like connections like this, it's more important to advance what we should be talking about rather than trying to answer a lot of the questions. And, and yeah, like getting kids on board with like this issue is, is hugely important because those are the kids that you want to continue to ask these questions rather than see those stereotypes codify or uh, solidify through the middle school years because it's bound to happen I know. right in the, in, in, in the world that it's like outside of school and if like we're going to have some impact over it you know the question becomes what how do you act how do you conduct yourself so mm -hmm. yeah and we've had I mean not related to our makerspace, but I also have a dollhouse in our library mm -hmm. and same thing at the beginning of the year the boys kept saying, well, we can't play at the dollhouse. So we had to have discussions about that. And it's just so nice because now I do feel like most of my students can come to the library and they're very open to asking questions to sort of exploring some of those topics that at the beginning of the year, they definitely felt uncomfortable about or felt nervous about. So I really do think all of this like hands-on work makerspace exploration has just allowed them to open up about so many other things because they now view the library as a place where they can go and sort of do all of that. Yeah, it's good. It's good thinking of it as like a platform for play that allows for these like failures and discussions and things like that. It's like, it's just so um, about what the library is about. Yeah. <laughs> right when you when you when you think of it that way so well that was incredible uh i don't think we have anything else like on our list and stuff like that but is there any um initiatives or devices that you're excited about um it was really cool to hear that it was like going to be very holistic and um you know yeah like the furniture and, and and the kind of surrounding identity of the space i think will will help you in, in that regard but is there anything else that we missed like talking about in regards to your project here and, and things coming to your school next year? Yeah, just reiterating that I feel like my students are finally getting a space that they have deserved all along. And I'm just so happy to see the space transformed for them and just sort of provide them with a truly inspirational learning environment because they are so curious and so excited and imaginative that I feel like having access to these tools 
and just choice, honestly, is just going to really let them thrive. Because I don't want it to be all about the tools, right? Like it's not just throwing a tool at students and then saying, great, now you've got it. It really is. I try to be about the holistic experience, as you mentioned, like an iPad is not the answer to everything, but it can be very helpful in having students engage in the type of learning that they care about. Yeah, and it also demonstrates that you, th those are the tools you need if they want to use robots. Like, let's at least get the right stuff and then start again the next year, like in a better spot. I yeah. love it. Yeah. That's a great story, Morgan. Thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, of course. Happy to. I love talking about <laughs> makerspace stuff. So I can go on and on. It's a problem sometimes. It's, it's also very inspiring. I feel like we don't really have a makerspace in our library and it's just not how our, our library has been used historically. Um, but it's something I'd really love for us to do more of, especially because I feel like when we came back from back in person last spring, we really noticed that students had this real need for like tactile things to do. And so we really supplied that with like, we have a lot of origami and we have like a lot of arts and craft supplies and coloring pages and word searches and Mad Libs and just things that they can do in the library and use that space that are, you know, extremely low mm -hmm. entry point for, for even, I would even call the makerspace things, just like tactile arts and craft supplies. But they've been incredibly popular and are really, really helpful for students who are sort of dysregulated and need a way to calm down. And it's really made me sort of see a need for, for more makerspace and more hands-on things in the library. And so we're starting to, we're just starting this process of thinking about like, where would we do it in the space? How would we do it? What kinds of things would we want in our high school um, that would sort of be makerspace related? Given that we have an amazing visual arts program and an, a lot of engineering and technology classes and so just thinking about how you're using it and integrating it with other kinds of literacy is very inspiring to me. So I, I'm hoping it's inspiring to other listeners too, who are maybe just beginning this process of thinking about how to incorporate other kinds of learning into their library spaces. And I would say if someone is intimidated about starting, when I started this, it was with Legos that were not even mine because I did not play with Legos when I was a child. Like I feel like I did fall into that stereotype where I thought Legos were for boys. Um, so I had to find Legos for free on Facebook Marketplace and um, just started really low budget, low tech. And that's great. I mean, I would hope that funding isn't an issue um, because you can make it work, um, you know, with limited budget. Cool. Well, we usually close out by asking something that you've been reading or watching or listening to. So you're welcome to share a personal thing or you can share something that was like an awesome makerspace book, but no pressure. Um, well, with my third grade students right now, we have been reading together The Wild Robot by Peter Brown. Heck yeah. It's so good. The kids love it. They're so fascinated by this robot robot on a wild island and thinking about, I mean, now that we've done so much on robotics, like thinking about mechanical aspects versus uh, natural elements and how a robot feels, does it feel? It's super interesting to see them sort of think about that. Yeah, Roz yeah. is an awesome character. It's a great reread too. I had an eighth grader check it out today. Yeah, um, it's just so good. Cause it was, it's been like MCAS week and everything like that. And the, the, so the kids are just like last period. So downtrodden, the kid came in, it was just like, 
do you have that book, The Wild Robot? I was like, yes. And it's like, you're giving a kid something that's like comfort food for them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, cause it's a great story. So yeah. It's so great. It's, it's so one. great. So that is a fabulous one. Um, I'm trying to think there are a lot of really good intro level, like engineering themed or STEM themed picture books. Um, Violet the pilot is a great one. Today we just read a story about Ray Montague um, okay. with students. So I think it's called The Girl with a Mind for Math, the story of Ray Montague. That's great. Um, How to Code a Sandcastle is great as a picture book to introduce students to that. There are so many great ones out there where you'd certainly, d- I am no engineer, I am no scientist, but. It, it's great exposure. Um, yeah, so those are kid things. Um, for myself, I just finished watching Minx on HBO. It's fabulous. I've heard really good things. It's so good. I am so happy they are going to make a season two. Yeah, it's so fun. I, I guess I would give it with a, a sensor warning, but um, it's not true, but it's a story about how the first like Play Girl magazine came about. This probably should not go in the MSLA podcast. (laughs) Now realizing, I don't know if, yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Well, for YouTube, you should watch it. (laughs) That sounds great. It's on home box office. That's awesome. (laughs) I have a lot of students who are seniors who work in the library right now. And about two or three of them are like really into romance novels, which like I enjoy romance novel too. I read romance novels a lot, but it's very funny because they've read like all the same romance novels I've read. And so they'll be like recommending these books to me and then I'll read them and be like, this is, I can't have a student have recommended this book to me. Like this is very smutty. I had (laughs) a second grader last week. There was a second grader who was coming in and um, has been like, oh my God, do you watch Shameless? Like Shameless is the best show, blah, blah. I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, second grade, <laughs> eight. Like, why are you watching Shameless? Yeah, but, you're watching you know. Bears or whatever. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, it is great. Um, yes, I have seen it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my favorite two are, the first one is the girl who's a sixth grader who came, or a fifth grader who came in and asked, Mr. Steer, do you have the books, The Sopranos? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, uh, A, no. B, there's no books. Um, yeah, and then the other student was in my seventh grade, like independent reading seminar and they dropped their backpacks off and then like go to lunch and then come back. And the backpack got dropped off and then she put like the book that she was reading on there. And it was like Sally Rooney's Normal People. Yeah. <laughs> and like a fifth grade teacher came in and was just like, who is reading that? Who has that backpack? And I was like, I don't know. But honestly, yeah. honestly, it's so intensely dark and everything. I, I someone yeah. is being given that book as a end of year like senior book award by the English department, and the English department like they know what students they're giving awards to, and they like specifically pick a book for specific students. And so the, the girl they're giving this to is like that's the perfect book for her, like totally the book, right book. But they, the principal was like, order a couple ex- order extra copies of everything because we don't, a bunch of people like didn't request books. And so I didn't really think about it. Cause I was like, I was in this frenzied ordering last week and they came and they came yesterday and I was unpacking them. And I was like, we probably should not have ordered multiples of normal people just to give to some random <laughs> student. Like this student, totally inappropriate book for her. She's like a literature major. She's so like, she's probably already read it. Like it's just a perfect book for her. 
I'm like, I, don't know. I would just put a little post-it note on the front of this of like, please ask me before you give this to any other students because yeah. I need to know who they are and I'll tell you if it's appropriate or not. Like, <laughs> you, it's, yeah. yeah, it's so interesting to see. Yeah. What it's in our library. It's, could, anyone can check it out, but I'm like, I don't know that I would give it as a gift from the school to a student as like. Yeah, just yeah it's, I've been thinking about that now too because we're adding fourth grade next year. So obviously growing the collection for them, it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, that yeah. little boundary is interesting because I have fifth graders in my middle school, you know, and, that, yeah. and, and, and and it's like having middle grade books and YA and that little gulf in between is always, is always tenuous, you know, it's just like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know what the answer to it is. Um, I don't either. And of course, like, I hate to tell someone no. Of course, like, yeah, that's, well, that's the rub. I mean, yeah, I had to, I had to tell somebody no. With four yeah, the other day because they wanted this book that was the last, it's the last most recent book in this series. And we have the first four, I think, and it's just the fifth book. And I have not read, I read the first book in this series and it's like, there's some sex in it, but it's like not crazy. And it's totally appropriate for high school students to read and whatever. So, and that's how the, the first four books apparently are. But the fifth book apparently like goes into a darker, deeper place. And so one of my friends who's a big reader was like, mentioned this to me and I was like oh should I not get this I was planning on ordering this and she was like I would not put that in a high school collection and she's not a librarian but I also like trust her as a reader yeah. to be like don't read that don't put this in your collection but I have students who are like where's the fifth book and I'm like it's at the public library yeah <laughs> like, no they have we have that a lot with Naruto Naruto yeah they all want to read it but I'm like oh yeah. I don't know yeah like first and then second grade I don't know yeah and the nice yeah. thing about like bestsellers like that is there's going to be copies at the public library somewhere near yes. them. So you're just hoping they're taking advantage of that. Yeah. And I'm like, I will I go say. to the public library and pick it up for you. And then you can read it here. But like, yeah. I'm not buying it for a collection. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's where like we do walk. The public library is less than 10 minutes away. So we walk there all the time. So they check out books from our school library and go to the public library. And I'm like, can you just get it from there? Like, save yeah. me the headache, please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was another book, uh, Morgan, I was thinking about. Have you heard of Tech, the Modern Cave Boy? Oh, we've read it. I love that book. Yeah, I read that during the pandemic, uh, like when we were in uh, remote school to all my classes, just because oh, we yeah. had an audio version. That's a good one, too. I love those like STEM picture books to talk about like a like a small concept. Me too. Um, There's another. Blow up. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we. I love that one. There was another one, I think. I forget, but um, I like to use doll E 2.0 a lot too, like doll dash the letter E. Mm -hmm. um, that one's really good. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many good picture books out there now about that. Um, I think bot and boy, or no, maybe I'm thinking of unplugged. There's one called unplugged that's similar to tech, the modern Kate boy. Yes, really yes. Good. Yeah. We it's have great. that. Yeah, I know that one. I've heard, I've heard that title before too. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. The the picture book, I, 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 st I stepped in on the picture book column for the forum this time around and I wrote something on using picture books for well, GID you. research. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'd love wow. your, I'd love your finer points on that one. If you, if you read through it, it's just like, okay. I, like when kid, I, I want kids to read print books, but the class happens so fast. So I'm like, how can I get them to read a book? I'm like, take this Sue Macy book and blow through it in a class period and pull your quotes from it and just summarize it 
and it's good evidence of like a story that connects right. to a larger theme. So we um, had, yeah. Um, Susan that. Harari, who's the librarian at Boston Latin yes. School. Her and I do that big project on existentialism. So okay. yeah, that was a cool I know. project. Um, but <laughs> with her 12th graders, yeah, they do a whole unit on existentialism and then they explore it in picture books. So all of the 12th graders, like it makes it so much easier to understand when you're thinking about it in a picture book format. So yeah, I'm totally for using picture books forever. Yeah, we have our, <laughs> our high school um, has a child development class and they their final project is that they come to the library and we I do like a two day lesson with them where we talk about sort of like what picture books are. We like, I like, it's very, it's like a little library class. I'm like, you know, like, library school class where I'm like here's the structure of a picture book and here are the themes and different kinds we like break down what they are and how they engage like a child's brain and help them develop literacy skills then they use what they've learned and we, we look at picture books themselves they sort of analyze and do an analysis of a picture book and then they use the things they've learned about like the child brain in their child development class to write a like social emotional learning book for cool. little kids um, and it is so much fun because these are sometimes these classes, like we had one in December that was just like all these kids who are like trying to like bop out of class all the time and are on their phones and paying no attention. And the minute you go to read them a picture book, they get completely silent. Everything goes away. They're like completely engaged They're you know, like it's sort of wild to watch. You're like, oh, everyone likes picture books. Like everyone can learn yeah. from picture books. Everyone enjoys them. They're totally tuned in. Like they really, really love to hear them. And so I'm trying to get like more of my classroom teachers to use them yeah. um, as, as a teaching tool, exactly for what Luke's saying of like for research, for basic information, for like, we're starting a new unit. Let's read a picture book about this topic and then dive into the details. Like, you know, 18 year olds can have really in-depth, incredibly academic conversations, but they also still want to be read to. And like, you need totally. to have a little bit of both. Oh. totally and there's so many amazing picture books out there now like to me I'm like no excuse yeah no, no excuse. excuse. <laughs> that's right the time complaint isn't going to happen yeah. <laughs> when the book's only 32 pages so no excuse to not use Well, thanks for coming on, Morgan. Hopefully this was yeah. an enjoyable experience. Yeah. And we invite anybody listening. If you're a librarian and you've got an idea, come talk to us and hang out on the podcast. So you can reach out to us at podcast at maschoollibraries.org. That's maschoollibraries with only one L in the middle, schoollibraries.org. And we hope to hear from you soon. We'd love to have more of you on just to talk about whatever it is you're working on in your library, whether it's a makerspace or a cool project or great books, or just to talk about being a librarian in general. Yeah, we love hearing these stories and hopefully um, they give you some ideas to just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, Morgan, thank you very much for sharing this. Very inspirational, very exciting for you to start going into the next year. And um, really cool to hear about. Too. We, we thank need to you. Say that. Yeah, it sounds like a huge amount of effort. So you're welcome to come visit anytime. Welcome to.